A statistician by qualification, Abade Oluwase has evolved to becoming a resourceful educator. His journey into the world of knowledge transfer started in his National Youth Service days, where he served his nation as a mathematics teacher. He soon realized his newfound love of building and molding the minds of the future leaders and decided to pitch his tents there. He obtained a BSc in mathematics from the University of Lagos and also has a PGD in the bag. He's presently running an MBA degree program with the University of Lagos and is the co-head teacher at Meadowhall Junior School, Lekki, Lagos. He's focused and self-motivated and has a passion to use education as a tool for societal transformation. His desire to see young children learn has driven him to continually seek 21st century pedagogy. His strong background in statistics and the use of numbers laid an indispensable foundation in his extensive analysis and use of data for educational improvement by educators at all levels. As a lifelong learner, he has always been passionate about professional development, and this has seen him become a regular trainer, facilitator in several capacities, including educational conferences, such as the annual Meadowhawk EduCamp held in Lagos and Port Harcourt, which hosts hundreds of professionals yearly, just to mention a few. He has also served as a human capacity development consultant with a number of educational institutions such as the Lagos State Ministry of Education, Ready Set Work Initiative, Hockmore International School, Port Harcourt, Keith Station School, Lagos, and many more. Ladies and gentlemen, make welcome the host and convener of the Impact Educators Summit, Mr. Oluwashei Bede. In this session, we consider it a rare privilege of hosting Mrs. Mary Okun. Mrs. Mary has been an executive director of a daycare, nursery, primary and secondary school for almost 18 years, with several years of experience and qualification in human resources and business management. She is also a qualified psychological therapist with several years of practice experience. She is presently the executive director of Leiden Gates Academy and Neka Potakot. Joining us to discuss effective communication with stakeholders to increase online academic performance, make welcome Mrs. Mary Okun to the Impact Educator Summit 2020. Good day, Ms. Mary Okun, and you're welcome to the Impact Educator Summit 2020. We are so honored to have you with us. But please, ma'am, do us a favor for the benefit of those that are meeting you for the first time and may not know you so very well. Please introduce yourself to us, ma'am. Hi, good afternoon, Shane. Thank you for having me. Like you rightly said, my name is Mary Okun. I am a school owner in Port Harcourt, been a school owner since 2002 in Port Harcourt, but I currently physically live in labor. And yeah. All right, ma'am. Thank you very much, ma'am. Now, you're the executive director in a school in Port Harcourt for about 18 years, like you rightly said. And um, you also have several years of experience and qualification in HR and in business management. And then you're also a qualified psychological therapist. Now, how do you get to manage all of these hats that you have to fill in from time to time? Man? <laughs> okay, so um, my original degree is banking and finance. So I did that originally before getting married and stuff in Germany. African German, my background is Ghanaian German. My parents are Ghanaian, but I grew up in Germany. So my education, everything was in Germany. So my first degree is banking and finance. So I have the business and the human resources part from there. I did 
human resources a few years in Germany um, before I came to Nigeria, got married and came to Nigeria. Um, starting the business, starting the school. A few years or two into when I started, it was when I had some children come in that were special needs and parents didn't really know much or didn't know what to do with the special needs children. And that birthed really my psychological background. I was determined to find ways to help because back in 2001 to 2002, there weren't really much awareness about educational special needs or special needs children, autism, whatever it was. So I decided to go back and educate myself and do a lot of learning, researching. Though I didn't go back to Germany this time around, I went back to the UK. I had children, left my kids in Nigeria. There were little three kids. I left my kids back in Nigeria, went wow. back to the UK and did a degree in uh, developmental psychology and then came back to Nigeria to continue practicing you know, in, the, in my business. And then a few years after that, I went back again, got a master's to further understand how to, especially how to help parents and how to help and assist children that came into our business, into the school, to integrate them into our curriculum, into our everyday lives, to just be able to include them into our system, be able to train the staff and anyone that came in, even the parents who didn't know what to do or how to cope with these children, give them a bit of relief and comfort in having a special needs child. And then um, did a lot of training in the counseling because parents with special needs children need to be counseled. They're stressed on these parents and the social burden I have come across a whole lot of issues with parents and being empathetic. Just be empathetic, period. You know, that birthed it back in 2005, six. And then since then, done countless sessions with parents internationally, locally, to help with special needs. And while we, you know, run the business, um, done some wow. work in Lagos at um, Luth Teaching Hospital. I was there in the psychiatry for a while, did some clinical work there wow. for like a year in the psychiatry to work with the clinical patients, so not just the school system, but clinical in you know, addictions and deep mental health issues and at Luth. So I do some individual work in Lagos as well. And then in Port Harcourt is more of the school and you know, parents that come to school. Wow, that's very impressive, man. Very impressive, man. <laughs> so please, uh, talk to us about how you got into the education sector. What motivated you into that sector and what keeps you in that sector? Coming to Nigeria then, one bad thing I found as early as that my time, 0102, was that education was expensive. Education was money-driven sort of situation. I came with a nine-month-old baby when I came to Nigeria. And it was in those schools that I had gone to ask for my baby for daycare to go. And the facilities I encountered, I'm not going to call any school names, daycare names I saw then. 
and facilities I saw and the amount being charged and then looking at how I grew up, where I was coming from and how education was free, I went to public school. I didn't even have no clue about private school. Private school. We all we all went to public school and seeing that, let me say I felt, I'm not going to generalize, I felt education back in Port Harcourt was so much cash money driven. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to educate myself. I'm going to get certification to start a daycare. That is how I started a daycare. And it grew into daycare, the nursery, the primary. Now we have the secondary, which is a day in day school. And then let me show people that it doesn't have to be money driven. Yes, I came into the country married, so I had the financial support already from my husband. But then most women or people that I knew that had the school weren't bad off either financially. So why then make it that expensive for the average or above average people to take their children to a school or daycare? So I decided to set it up, borrowed money, and my aim was affordability. Till today, till today it's still making it affordable because education for me in my upbringing was supposed to be free. I had it for free. We just bought books and back to school supplies every year. So I didn't understand why, oh, you have to buy books. Oh, you have to pay for that. And whenever something was fixed in the school, it was put on the school fees and it went up again. Whenever something happened in the school, it was put on the school fees and it went up again. I'm thinking, wait, why? Why is that happening? You know, so the school fee would be jacked up for whatever reason that if you are maintaining the building or you are acquiring something asset for the school, you increase the fee. Uh, you're running a business. It is your duty to improve your business. It is your job. It is part of your business to maintain your structure. It is part of your business to uh, acquire assets. I mean, you make profits at some point, unless that is part of your business plan. You have cash that you start the business with and you know how you're going to buy these things and that over time you acquire certain things based on the cash that you have and stuff like that. But then I didn't get the mentality because I was a finance person. I personally didn't buy it. I still don't buy it today. I haven't changed. <laughs> I still don't buy that today. You know, so there are legit reasons why you would increase school fees, but it shouldn't be something people do every year, every other year they're increasing it. You know, be honest from get-go so that people that come from get-go know that, oh, this is how you're operating and I'm going to stay because I can afford you. But then if you keep jacking it up a year or two, it will get to a point where they can't afford you anymore because you keep changing. They haven't changed. Their salaries haven't changed, but you keep changing. So you've now become unaccessible to them. So having seen all of that, I felt, let me be different. Let me be the place where people come. And once they come, they know that, listen, we're not here to be jacking fees. We're not here to take you out. We're here to provide education. We're here to care for you. We're here to care for your family. We're here to be a family where your children grow. And 
get a service because at the end of the day, as a private school, you are given a service. And I'm not trying to run you bankrupt while I you know, provide a service to you. So that basically was how I felt. If I'm going to start this um, school to give it back to society as me coming into Nigeria, let it be something that I'm giving genuinely back to society and not exploiting society. So it has to be something that is affordable, but at the same time, as a business, I'm still making money. It, it does work. It will work. It will make, take you a bit longer, but you will make it. Oh, thank you very much, ma'am. So what would you consider the greatest challenge you have faced doing business in the Nigerian economy? Do we have time for this today? <laughs> <laughs> do we have shade? Do you have oh. all that time to see? Oh, please, 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 go ahead. Um, oh, Lord. Okay. Um, I see there are so many challenges. Let me give you some basics over the top. The lack of policy and guidelines when, when you want to start a business, any business, the lack of policy and guidelines. Where I come from or from experience, you want to start a business, you can go to a government website and look up whatever policy that guides that business you want to start and there are do's and don'ts list of what you need to do, what the processes are, what you need to follow, which government bodies are involved to get everything sorted out, who you have to pay, what not. So very straightforward. Then you have electricity, you have infrastructure is there and things like that. Well, um, back in 2002, lesson is the survival of the fittest. You have to figure out how to survive with your own electricity. You have to figure out how to survive at the Ministry of Education. You have to figure out how to survive with your parents and drafting up contracts or recruiting staff. You have to figure out how to reference people that come to apply for jobs because there were no agencies. There is nothing that protects an employer from checking the background of staff, especially coming to work with children. Um, we do police checks for people that work with children. You do police checks, you do background checks for people that work with the vulnerable. Children are the vulnerable. Nothing like that exists here till date. So that was then, but even till date, hospitals like nurses, doctors, for example, I don't know how they check the backgrounds of the nurses. Have they killed someone somewhere before applying at your workplace? You know, so there's no, nothing. You know, so these are um, things that when starting I have to figure out my own ways based on my experience working in uh, Germany how to fill some of these loopholes, how to make contacts, how to, you know, get to know people in higher places because you never know when they'll come after you to help you out because you have, you have to know people and you have to make somehow financially that is the truth you have to maintain them somehow so that when you are in trouble as a business when you are attacked by the community for example river state thrives on community 
harassing businesses. Whether they like to hear it or not, it is what it is. You know, so you have to know people in these communities. You have to make sure they are okay. Have, you know, pay your royalties and stuff so that you'll be left alone or not left alone. Even if you do pay this particular set of people, these ones will come and say, well, it wasn't us. It was these people you settled. So what River State is very delicate when it comes to running a business and you are in a community that is in charge of you. And they don't even look at schools as, you're different. Oh, oil companies, schools, anyone, hotels, you are on our soil. I had to learn quick, coming from my brother, I had to learn quick on how to deal with all of that. And God's so good. Somehow, whenever I was in trouble, God somehow sent me some people from somewhere and I got rescued. Being at the ministry today, I still have friends at the ministry from back in 2002. So from electricity, from um, staff um, background checks, from the ministry guiding you on what to do and all of that. People keep tossing you back and forth. Oh, I'm going to meet this person. Auntie, I, I, I beg, Auntie, I don't have time. I beg, Auntie, please come back tomorrow. And, and there's, the lift doesn't work. The elevator doesn't work in that ministry. So as at that time, I'll walk all the way up, line up. You're in queue. And when the lift is working, you have to queue up and they'll take you in batches into lifted, you know? So I did all these myself. Some people used to send their agents and whoever to go. But one thing that helped me as a business owner was doing all these things myself. So even if afterwards, after five, six years, I had to send my staff to go and do them, I already had my network there. I already knew how things went down. So you can't come back and tell me, uh, Madam, this, that, that. Mm -mm been there done that already know what is happening there so just come back with the report you know so these are the challenges just a few many more i haven't even no need to even go into them wow all right ma'am well god will help us in doing business in the nigerian sector all right um if you had the opportunity to hey, speak to Harcourt. oh well okay in Harcourt. all right ma'am if you had the opportunity to speak to young educators or people that are planning to become teachers, what advice would you give to them? Being an educator is not something that is like many professions. You're either born for it or you're not. You can't force people to have a passion to be an educator. You can't. You can't force people to be patient because an educator, I think your number one is patient. Patient. You dream and you drink patient. You know, so if you are given a cut-off mark or unis offer you education because your cut-off mark wasn't up to what you wanted to do originally, but then they throw education to your face because, well, it's in the, you know, you can take that, take it, and you think, well, I can do that. Don't. Don't. If you are passionate about children, passionate about impacting the future because they are the next generation. If you are passionate about impacting their life, if you're passionate about, see, in short, let me just say, don't be passionate about making money. Oh. 
if that is not part of the passion passionate you have then you're good to go because being rich or becoming rich is your wrong profession education is not where you go to become rich it's a calling it's a passion if you have that basics you have that as your foundation then the sky is your limit because you can make money you can be a prof you can become a professor you can become a doctor you can be whatever you want to be in education but if you're going in like professors professors are passionate bunch of people like you don't go to profs because they are proud to be professors they are proud to impact knowledge they are proud it's something that is a passion so if you're a young educator or you want to go into education what is your motive of becoming an educator that is what i want to know why do you want to become an educator the answers that person uh, gives you or their motive would decide whether they're really up to become one hmm. thank you very much ma'am okay so let's go into the topic that you'll be looking at in detail today which is effective communication with staff and stakeholders so please talk us through what exactly is effective communication well uh, effective communication the solution or delivers a message that's effectively doing something that you get results at the end of the day if it's not effective you you don't get nothing out so whatever means necessary to make that effective effective means your message has been sent across successfully and understood by whatever parties you're trying to um reach so effective communication is basically trying to get your message across successfully understood by everyone at the end of the day all right ma'am so um talking about the stakeholders how can we classify the stakeholders we have who are the different stakeholders we have in the educational sector well um we will have internal and external stakeholders if we're looking at this pandemic i think this your program or your uh, summit is about the pandemic and after the pandemic so let me just stay within the period of this pandemic you know your stakeholders um businesses are shut down schools are shut down with everything being shut down really you're dealing more with your internal stakeholders do you have a few external so I'll name like a few of the internal stakeholders they are dealing with and probably just a few of the external ones a school would, would probably deal with um the internal ones you're dealing with um your staff administration um your parents your students this those are your internal ones during this period external stakeholders you have your um government bodies probably you have naps in fact we have naps the um national the private school association we have uh, if you are a debtor like i am because my school is new so you get loans and uh you have uh, investors so those are my external stakeholders It's my investors the banks the ministries who were just before the pandemic were asking people to re-register they are schools for the secondary and all of that that was happened so you have them external bodies the ministries 
you have. So anyone that is not within your school system inside is an ex-stakeholder. Anyone that is within your school is your internal stakeholder. All right, ma'am. Thank you very much for, for the classification. So uh, what are the possible challenges to effective communication with these stakeholders? The challenges are obviously different based on which stakeholder they are. With the internal challenges, you have the staff during this pandemic. It's a complete whole different um, challenges. You have the parents, a complete different challenges, and you have the students. You know, and then looking at the external stakeholders is more of a monetary situation where it's all cash driven, basically. The external ones are mostly cash driven, but then it's a pandemic. So it's obvious we're all under lockdown for the external ones. Basically, we're all under lockdown. We don't have any income. So whatever demands you're making as, as an external stakeholder, you have to be realistic because it's an international economic meltdown. We have an international economic crisis. I'm not in isolation. No business is in isolation in Nigeria. So whatever demands you're making, they have to be realistic in whatever demands they're making. And even though banks are not really forthcoming, the government is not doing anything to support private businesses or schools from the external part. Nobody's doing nothing. So you're on your own, literally, as a business. Whatever needs to be done, um, you are on your own, unless you're owing money and you try to have them in a halt, whatever you need to pay until businesses have opened back again. But external stakeholders, basically right now, for a school, is all about money. And we don't, we're not making money right now. So they are a bit quiet. But then you now have the internal stakeholders. I think anyone in this world or in the world right now that is going through the pandemic is more concerned about the internal stakeholders than the external stakeholders because your priority is to keep the business alive and to survive. Not necessarily even making any profit or anything, but just be relevant and survive this period. You know, so you communicate your issues with your external ones. Listen, let me be for now like everybody else. Everybody cool down when things are back to status quo, you, you know, we take it up from there. And the internal one is the most important one at this moment is because if the internal one collapses, the externals don't get nothing. The internal stakeholder or stakeholders, those are the ones that keep the business going. So if the externals don't let you be right now to manage your internal stakeholders, there won't be nothing to give you at the end of the day. So give me this time to do the best I can to nurture and to care for the internal stakeholders the best I can so that when things get back to basis, you get what you want or what you need from me. So efforts right now is your staff. Efforts are um, the parents and your students. Yeah. So what do you want to know about that? How to communicate to these three people? Yes, ma'am. Let me start with when the pandemic started or when I knew it was coming, you watch news, you saw it coming. Uh, it's like a wave that is coming. You can see it coming from the West, from abroad. You can see that, oh, they're shutting things down. or oh, borders are being closed. Things are happening. You can see that it's just a matter of time it was going to hit us in Africa. 
you could have just sat and said, well, it's a Western situation. It's not going to happen in Africa. They say the weather here, according to some president, the weather here is very good. It's not going to hit us. You know, it's just fake news. The virus doesn't exist. And you just go with that and run with it and you just be complacent or you watch what people are doing abroad. You see what is happening, how it's affecting them and you start contingency plan ASAP. You have emergency meetings immediately. Pandemic was coming or it came during our, that was when it was coming. And, and then it hit the Easter break and nobody knew what was in. Are we coming back after Easter? Or we're not gonna come back after Easter? You know, but then some smart people, businesses, were already ahead with what was happening abroad before it even hit Africa, before it hit Nigeria. So they already had put plans in place what not to do. Some people were fast and had already made plans. I called an emergency meeting with my staff and told them, listen, this is what this pandemic or virus was all about. So I had educated myself. I had done all the research and read up news I could read about the pandemic as a business owner. I had to do that. You know, I could not rely on the government. I could not rely on the state. I could not rely on any association to come and give me the information on the platform or go like, oh, do this. Um, this is the guide because it never been like that running a business for as long as I've done. You have to be proactive. You have to be ahead of what was coming. During the Easter holiday was when borders were being closed. You know, some states were doing this. Germany was closing down. Europe was shutting down. I said, okay, it's about to hit us. And I don't think school is going to go back. It doesn't look like, oh, no, there's nothing. My staff in Port Harcourt. And that's one thing when you're communicating. My staff or the people you have, their mentality and yours, you need to understand your audience. You need to understand the mentality and the background and the culture of your audience. Now, being who I am, my exposure or experience, and then I'm calling my staff saying, listen, this is what is happening. This is what is coming. This is what they say it is. This is how long it may take. It may be. No, no, no. River State hasn't said anything. Um, Wiki hasn't said nothing. Everything is open. We're still working. And I'm, okay. Um, Guys, it's coming. It's coming. It's just a matter of time. It's going to get here. Now, let me explain to you what is coming and how it may affect us. So we had a meeting. So they were still about their business in River State. Everybody was normal. Lagos was still normal. Everything was okay. But I knew that school wasn't going to go back because schools had already shut down abroad. My nephews and nieces abroad, all of them were home. So I knew it will hit us here and it will stop because we'd like to copy and paste in Africa. Like it or don't like it, Africa likes to copy and paste. So I knew it was just a matter of time it will hit us with. We can't go back because that's what they were doing abroad, you know. So um, we had an emergency meeting during the Easter break and then explained the situation, explained what was happening abroad. My staff have been with me for years. I've had people that have been with me for 16 years in my 18. I have people that have been with me for 12 years. You know, so they trust you have a relationship. It's like a family, you know. So when I'm bringing information like that, there's a bit of, okay, trust. I'm being as honest as I can be with what is happening, what I've read up and what is coming. So having the staff meeting, understanding their background, understanding 
the economy they are in because River State is completely different from Lagos. So I also have to understand that even Lekki or Lagos Island people and their mentality is different from mainland. And it's same Lagos because exposure is completely different. So how much more talking to people in River State you can't use the same, I'm talking to you, oh, you understand what I'm trying to say, you're nodding, you're doing this, you're doing that, I'm looking at your body language, you understand. And I'm talking to someone that is in Riverside, that lives in Obi Accord, that lives in um, Elio Zoo, and a car that lives in Umoba somewhere, and I'm telling you, listen, this is coming. This, and they look at me like, this woman, what have you smoked again today? <laughs> that sort of completely don't understand. So in the meeting that we had, try to break things down for people to understand bring a bit of literature with you, a bit of videos, a bit of reference of what is happening. Give them information of what has happened, what is coming, what they have done there, and how this will probably be our also norm in a few weeks to come. So this is what I'm proposing we need to do. Trying to also propose what we could do as a business, because they are the business. The staff is the business, I'm not the business. If I don't carry the staff, you know, if I don't include them in my plan, my business plan, I'm on my own. They are the heart of the business. My staff is the heart of my business before my parents. So if I don't get them to understand the business situation and the plan, and have them support whatever business plan I'm proposing, I don't have a business. I can have a curriculum that looks fantastic, tied up in bow ties and everything, and they are the ones to sell it and deliver it. If they don't understand how to deliver it, I don't have nothing. The candy bars and educational curriculum that is tied up pretty cute will be left on the table. They needed to understand what is coming, what has happened, and where I'm trying to carry the business too, when, not if, when it hits us. So it wasn't a matter of if, when it hits us, this is what we're gonna do. When we don't open after Easter and we are shut down, this is what we're gonna do. We had the talk explained that it's not about if we get shut down, when we get shut down. Um, I told them, I don't believe we're going to open and I don't think this school year will even happen at all because based on what others have done in the West and we're likely to co you know, copy what they've done. I discussed all of that with them. They were asking uncertainty, you know, almost a panic sort of situation. What's going to happen? How are we going to do, you know, salaries? That's the first thing everybody thinks about, my money, my money. It was, listen, I really have no idea how financially we're going to survive this, but let's first look at how we're going to sail through it if we find a way to sail through this period we're going to be relevant you know don't look at the cash look at how you solve a situation solving the situation would bring in what you're looking for if you're just thinking of cash 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 that is the wrong thing to do you know as you you know preach to your children look at the problem fix it then whatever will fall at the end of the day so giving them that comfort that listen i'm not going anywhere we're still here as a family we're still going to go through this together i have to just figure out how to keep the business afloat on a whole different level that will allow us to be relevant irrespective of you know 
when we get shut down, not if, but when we get shut down. We had that meeting and then I now had to look into, okay, what can I afford as a business now, investing wise, online, because that was what was being done abroad. You know, we have friends abroad, we have family abroad. What are you guys doing? What have the schools done? Because when the schools shut down, they had to go online immediately. What did they do? I got to hear about Zoom. I got to hear about, um, I, I'm already online. My website was, you know, has been there for years. So I looked into called my IT guy. Listen, this thing is coming. This thing is going to happen. What can we do to carry our learning online? And, you know, so I basically had the IT guy went into financing banks. What can I do? You know, borrow money. How much is it going to cost me to, you know, do the IT thing? I had to call GoDaddy. That is my website host. You know, figure out, you know, so many things online. What can we do with the website? What can, you know, is this stable enough? So did all of that work. So I had to do my homework as a business owner, not waiting for somebody to come tell me what to do. I had to call GoDaddy the host. I had to get the IT guy. What, how can we implement all these things? How much is it going to cost? Meanwhile, the dollar was going up or the Naira was falling. Let me put it that way. So the Naira already had started falling because I didn't even know that until I contacted GoDaddy, my host, and then get the IT guy to buy all these softwares, which is traded in dollars. That was when I figured, uh-oh, the rate, the Naira is dropping, you know? So I had to invest in buying these softwares quick. And this all happened during the, the Easter break, during the Easter break, you know? So having called the IT, called GoDaddy, getting all the understanding how it's gonna work. So I had all that feedback, I had all that information. Another meeting with staff, everybody, I go to school because Port Harcourt is still open. There's no cases in Port River State of coronavirus, nothing. Um, meanwhile, you know, country was now shut down, announcement was out. So the staff, okay, so this one was onto something because now we're on log, you know, there's no flights going in, no flights coming out. We had several meetings explaining the website, what can be done, what they need to do to bring themselves up to being able to do the learning online what is it going to take for them to accomplish that who has a laptop who doesn't have a laptop who has a smartphone who does not i have to get empathetic towards not everybody has all the gadgets that's another thing just because i have my ipad and my phone smartphone does not mean everybody had that luxury as a teacher you know so that understanding so who has this who doesn't have that who needs help who does you know so it was a being family, understanding that this situation that is coming is going to be there for a while. How do I help my people to survive the situation with me? Because they're my assets. They are my assets. They're my business. So if I don't keep them close to heart, if I don't help them survive the situation with me, they're my family members, they're my assets, they're my stakeholders. You know, so they are the heart of the business, like I said before. So it's very paramount to have gotten my staff to where we are today, to have able to done the, um, the training for the website, the, you know, to get the whole business plan in place, effective communication. I could have come with, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, we're going to do that. I don't want to hear what you guys have to say. Let's get it done. Is that effective? 
one will say yes, one will say no, you know. So getting feedback with my business plan, the floor was now open. How do we achieve my business plan or the proposal with your obstacles that you have locally? Because they have local obstacles to execute my plan. And then uh, with that, we now got the parents involved because trust parents to call teachers on their own, to call the administration on their own. If I didn't do all that homework with my staff, they would fumbled not being able to effectively communicate whatever needs to be done with the parents because I knew they would call them. We did all of that and then started calling parents, explaining them what's happening. We opened up a WhatsApp group, put all the parents in it. So that is the, um, I think the technology part we're talking about. We had the WhatsApp group. WhatsApp is basic. So it's not all about high tech. Basic, trust your parents. Trust the relationship you have built with people over the years. I cannot open a WhatsApp group with parents and be the only person posting in it. Yes, sometimes calls for that. And sometimes you need a two-way communication to get, be effective in what you want to achieve. At the beginning, you don't mute or you don't be the only admin posting in the WhatsApp group. At the beginning, you need to communicate. You need to understand their own concerns. You need to be empathetic. Is the whole situation affecting the whole world? So it's affecting everybody. What are your concerns as a parent? What are the problems you're facing? The kids are home. What are they doing? You know, so all of that. With the parents giving me the feedback of their own issues, okay, how do I add that and fix that in my business plan? Because at the end of the day, I'm still trying to be relevant as a business and provide the service that I have. We did WhatsApp groups. We did um, the calling. We did basic technology, no high tech. I think the only high tech that has come in was Zoom that we had to train staff, we had to train parents, we had to train the children how to use it and um, it worked. And then last but not least, the mental health of everybody. That was where my psychological aspect was very good. I had to, had a very heart to heart talk with my staff and I had to let them after our own heart to heart talk about mental health, how it's affecting people, how some people might be very aggressive, some people might be very low in morale, you know, just try to bring that mental health aspect into this whole situation because it, these are tough times and I don't expect everybody to be in my house and understand what I'm going through in my house. You know, psychology allows you to, or teaches you to walk in people's shoes, try to be empathetic and discuss how to fix their challenges or how to help them figure out strategies to overcome their issues. You know, so we did a lot of that, mental health talks, and then we tried to bring in the parents into that talk as well. I had to train my staff to be sensitive to our parents' mental health during the pandemic. So I had to sensitize them towards, listen, these are not our normal parents that we knew. These are parents now that may be facing financial issues. Some of our parents have children with special needs. Imagine before they could drop them and leave. That is, they drop the headache on us and they're gone. But guess what? Now they're home with their kids. Now they're stuck. Now they have to listen to all the things that we had all day. Now they're stuck with that all day. I had to bring them a bit into my bit of the psychological part to 
understand the state of our parents right now, not before. So when you're talking to parents, remember this, this, that, that. When we're talking to parents, remember to say that, that when you're talking to the children, remember they're sad, they can't go to school. Remember, they don't know what is happening right at home. You know, know how to talk to them. After doing all the business part, I, because of my personal academic background, I was able to add the psychological part to my staff, the awareness that this period is going to be very mental health challenging for everyone. And that needs to be considered every single time you're talking to a parent, every single time you're talking to a child. Remember that in your Zoom, this is not a classroom where you shout, where you do all of that, like sit down, don't do that. Remember, most of these children don't have a clue. They just know that they are home, they can't go to school, they don't have the mental in-depth or they don't have the um, understanding of why all of that is happening, how soon is it going to be gone. You know, and then the parents also be understanding if they snap at you. Don't get offended immediately, please, because what they're going through, we can't see their faces when you're talking to them. So you can't even see whether they've cried that day. Well, you know, so I had to do all of that as a complete different part of the communication to my staff to teach them a bit a, like one-on-one -on -one psychology, quick one. This is the, you know, how the pandemic may impact people's mental health at home, this and then that. And we added that to our communication. So that was added. And then we now went into presenting our solution to the parents. And then they also give us feedback. No, you can try and do it this way. It's better for us this way. Try and change it that way because we have three children, not two children. We have four kids, not one. I have one that is too young to do your Zoom. What can you do? You know, so we did all of that tweaking, listening. And then today, I think, it's just been a continuous sailing through and just working on feedback every two, three weeks. You have an issue, we try to call them, remember the mental health, remember to check up on them because some will feel abandoned by us, some will feel left alone because they are not physically seeing us anymore. We don't know what is happening. Just call and check on them and say, hi, how are you? And you know, just show that we care because we care and it's a difficult time we're going through so when you're talking of academic performance with carrying parents along and understanding your business plan and tweaking and adding all the feedbacks they gave you one is able to set up an online platform that is beneficial to you as a parent and also the business um, will be relevant on during this period because the truth is it's not about profits or making money or paying back your loan or the money you're owing right now is about being empathetic it's about caring for people the children that you said you were servicing the parents right this uh, like this is the time to show that you actually cared for them it's not about the money is there is no money so what else is remaining if there is no money care for them show that you are still there that we may not be physically seeing ourselves but we're still here. Call us if the child has a problem. If you're having issues with the program, call us. You know, we're in a WhatsApp group. Send a message. You know, something else we did along the line at the end of the day was 
having class WhatsApp groups which are open. They're open, not admin only, because a lot of people are scared to put a whole bunch of parents into oh, one space and leave it open because you don't know what they're going to say. You don't know how. You don't know what's going to happen. But if you do all of these steps of caring and nurturing at the beginning and the communication at the beginning and the caring for the mental health and the children and not being money-oriented but really care and understanding, being empathetic, did all of that, then open a WhatsApp group. Guess what? Everybody was quiet. Oh. It was all academic. It was all about, oh, my child doesn't know how to get on a Zoom. Oh, we can't, I'm still on the waiting room. Allow me get in. Um, where do I submit this assignment? I need the teacher's email. Like, it was completely gone because you created an avenue for them before and to vent, to express themselves, to do all that that would cause issues. You did all of that before. Then you open up the group. It's like a PTA meeting. So keep fixing things before you have a PTA meeting because once you have it, there shouldn't be any issues. But if you keep dodging things, pushing things under the carpet, have a PTA meeting. You run out. You just run away. You know, so on that principle, communicate effectively. Be honest. Be empathetic. Have a relationship. That relationship that you had with them before school closed, this is the time to nurture that relationship. This is the time to take that relationship on a whole different level. This is the time to show that you actually had a relationship with the staff as well. So not just the parent. With the staff, we take the physical scene ourselves for granted. Oh, good morning, Mr. Martins. Oh, good morning, Mr. Kemi, whatever. Now you don't see people, now it's talking. They don't see you. How do you show people you care when they can't see you every day? How was the relationship you had with people? Do you check on them? Do you call them to check? Okay, I can't pay you, but can I, I can give you a call and ask how you're doing. The relationship you had with had during your normal days in school, for me, was paramount. And then you build on that during this pandemic. You know, use that. And then depending on how successful or how effective you're saying, depending on how effective that is, your online learning should be okay, should be good because you've done your homework and everybody is on your side now. We're trying, we're all now trying to be there for the children. We're all now trying to make sure the kids are educated, they get the best they can get online and we're on the same side. It's not like parents are there, we're here. Or let me say, yeah, parents are here, you're here. Now we're actually on the same side, trying to make sure that the children are cared for together. That really is what I worked on, effective communication, and it, it worked well. Wow, thank you very much, ma'am. I mean, some very, very valuable tips. I guess you just ran us through ESI 101 Psychology for Educators, and um, I was happy to be a part of that course, and it's been a very valuable one. All right, ma'am. Now, you're based in Lagos, but you run your school based in Port Harcourt. Now, 
how do you get to ensure, how do you get to manage what goes on over there? I'm sure there'll be some business owners, some school leaders and owners that probably will be in the same situation, especially in this pandemic we have now where everything is done remotely. What tips and advice would you give on how to effectively manage even in a remote situation? This boils down to exactly what I said just now, relationship. is something you built from get-go. I didn't just move to Lagos overnight. I was in Port Harcourt for years. You build a relationship while you are with your people. It's a family. You don't live with your family and not nurture the children or the people in that entity. You know, so whatever you do in a family, you raise your children, you have your spouses or your family members within it, and then you travel, you go away. You've already built um, trust, you've built a relationship, you do that. So they know you, they know who you are. My staff know my culture. You need to be emotionally vulnerable. You have to allow yourself to be emotionally vulnerable and honest with your business dealings with your staff. People see it. People are not stupid. Human beings are not stupid. Just because they may not have the level of exposure you have means they're not up to date. They can see when you're honest, when you're open, when you play with them, when you joke with them. I go to Port Harcourt regularly. Don't take me wrong. Because I live in Lagos doesn't mean I go to Port. You know, I've been going regularly. I moved just, what, four or five years ago. I was there in Port Harcourt with them. Like I said, some of them have been with me for 12, 15, 16 years, eight years and stuff. So they've known me over the years. They're family to me. And don't forget that I am a foreigner. I'm a Niger wife in Nigeria. So I don't have my immediate family, maternal, uh, paternal family in Nigeria. So my staff is like literally my family. So if my situation might be peculiar to maybe another person but doesn't mean you can't adopt the same strategy that wouldn't work. You treat people with respect. You show people you care about them. You love them. You uh, understand their situations. And um, you build a relationship on that. You know, we've been through um, grievances. We've lost staff before. We've had weddings before. We've had... So your culture that you put in your business, being a CEO of a business, the way you nurture or you raise, like your children will say, oh, mom was like this, that, that, or dad was a disciplinarian and mom was like that. You have a culture set that your children already know growing up, this person is the kind of person, dad is like that, mom is like that, or this sister is like this, this other sister is like that. You have a culture. So in your school or in your business, how do your staff perceive you? Who are you to them? Are you one of them or you are the authority? Are you with them or you are just the instruction giver? Who are you to your staff? What relationship have you built with your staff? How much do you care? How do they perceive you as a business owner? Will they easily betray you or will they be honest with you when there are issues? I have 
parents that will call me sometimes and say, oh, I'm Mr. Kun, um, my daughter, this, that. I said, oh yeah, I heard about the food that spilled this morning and you were angry. She's like, oh, they told you. I said, yes, they told me. You know, so parents with time, they'll be like, oh, they've already told her already. There's no need to go and complain to her because they've probably told her what has happened. So there's no need. Let's just fix it now. I don't have parents call me anymore because they know that as that thing, whatever happened in school had happened before the end of that school time, 3.30 or 4, they would have told me already because their staff know that if I get to hear a parent calling me, complaining about something, you're asking me, I'm here, they're there. If a parent calls me, for example, and starts complaining, I haven't heard about what has happened and I need to figure out what has happened, I'm now struggling to explain, you are in trouble. You know, so anything that happens before the parent has walked out of the school building, I'm already going, okay, bad news, because they know that the parent might call me. So obviously when they call, it's not like you're in trouble, but don't put me on the spot to look like we don't know what we're doing. So if your staff know you, they understand your culture, they understand who you are, how they've perceived you over the years. You have nothing, I'm thinking you shouldn't have anything to worry about. But the question you ask yourself is, or you can ask your staff, how do they perceive you? Ask your parents, how do your staff talk about you? You should have some parents that would be honest with you. How do they talk about you in your absence? Who are you to them? The answers to these questions will help you manage your business when you are away because the way you are perceived or the way you handle things or relationship you have with them is what will guide you when you are away. It's what will help you manage the business even where you are not present physically. All right, ma'am. Thank you very much, ma'am. So if you had the opportunity to be the Minister of Education for one day and one day only, what is that thing that you would ensure you achieve with your time in office? Minister of Education. I would think of setting a standardized qualification benchmark for teachers, for staff in the industry. A benchmark to make sure that educators, as graduates, they come out, they are qualified graduates. They are teachers or educators that the country can boast of. Set up a system that produces great educators. I brought all the line. We have so many educators who we can't write home about. You ask yourself, you are about to teach a child. You can't put up a one-page essay about a topic I gave you in your application. Just sit here and write something for me. It's horrible. So if you're asking me um, as an education or the Minister of Education, it's not even about the curriculum or I can have a fantastic, great curriculum designed by great scholars. If I don't have great people to deliver the curriculum, 
I have nothing. If I don't have great people to convey, to administer, to like having great medical equipment and you have nobody to knows how to um, use them. What are you going to do with the equipment? They sit there. Nobody can use them. You know, so that is what you have with great curricula. You have fantastic ideas. You put in all these things in the curriculum and the quality of manpower educators coming out of the educational system, out of the universities. It's sad. It's really, really sad. That is one of the issues I think I, I, I talked about when I started the business. It's so difficult to find people to deliver the curriculum. It's hard. So that is one thing I would want to work on. It's education. We're back to education itself. Let's fix our educational system. Let's fix our schools. And who fixes things? Who are the people to fix things? It's us. It's the people. It's people like us. We're education. We're into education. But then you have institutions. Yes, you have the universities and you have the corruptions here and there and the strict things that you need to do, how people are cutting corners and stuff. We need to fix our higher institution so that we can produce um, educators, not just in the educational uh, sector, in a, in a different other sector. You bring out people that are really qualified that the country can boast of. You know, so that would definitely change a lot before you even go into the setup of the physical and, you know, structures and putting things into the classrooms. Yes, I would even have said that. But then again, like I said, if you buy equipment, if you buy all the beautiful aspects that you put in the classroom and the people that are supposed to deliver the message, the curricula, don't know how to use it, don't have a clue on training and practical trainings, all of that, we don't have all that in place. In how many government trainings do they do for educators? Unless the private sector starts doing things on their own, the government sector in education is very, very much not taken care of. And everything is on the... That is why, I guess, private schools are thriving in Nigeria because the government is not doing nothing for the educational sector because if they were, private schools wouldn't thrive. It would be government schools that would be thriving, not private schools or the private sector. So definitely, if we were producing qualified and great and good educators or graduates as a whole, that would change a great deal. Thank you very much, ma'am. All right, so for people that would like to connect with you, find out more about what you do, or even secure your services in one way or the other. What's the best place for them to find you, ma'am? Um, I think our website is a great way to go to. The website has all our school information and um, our Facebook link I gave you as well. So I get messages there as well. If I am um, DM'd in the Facebook or our phone numbers on the website there as well, I can reach on all these platforms. On a final note, on a more personal note, how has this pandemic affected you as a mother and as a wife? They've made me a teacher. <laughs> I've become a teacher to a six-year-old. How has it affected me? I've grown a bit more gray hair, I think. 
I have a few more gray hairs. <laughs> I have all my children at home. I have four children that two out to be in university, but everybody's at home. Um, I have two unit students that are home. I have a secondary school student that is almost finished next year. She's out of secondary school to A levels. And I have a six year old. So I have all these um, ladies at home. I have my better half at home, working from home. So it's a full house with everybody hands on deck. We all have to work together to keep the house going. I had to educate my six year old who doesn't understand, like I mentioned before, why she's at home. She wants to go meet her friends. She wants to go and say hi. And now she knows, oh yeah, it's because of Corona, I can't go with you to the market. Oh yeah, it's because of Corona, I can't follow the supermarket. You know, so now when I'm even driving out now to go to the market, she knows that she can't go because I told her going to the supermarket is not even a trip for children anymore because it's easier for one person to be affected than having two, three people go out. I guess advantageous for me because again of my ecological background, I'm able to hit on different angles on the children, different ages, what to talk about for a different age. So I talk to my 20 year old is completely different than talking to my 18 year old, talking to my 15 year old. I'm able to switch quickly to how I approach the pandemic affecting them easily. Academic as well, the ones that, I that want to be in school, but they're at home seeing my face every day. They don't want to see me every day. Um, they hate me waking them up to start their classes because they have Zoom classes as well, two of them. And I have to wake them up in the morning and it's always a fight. Uh, mom, I'm like, okay, I'm sorry, but it is what it is. I think being a psychologist has helped me a lot, tremendously. Whenever I can see one retrieving into themselves, I'm able to pick up like, okay, what is it this time? You know, so that has been a bit of an advantage for me, but it's not been easy. My husband has his home office. I think we now have gotten a routine where we let him be, stay away from dad, let him do his thing, don't get out, you know, because it's affecting everyone. You know, he has to work from home, um, financial issues here and there. So it's not been easy. I'm always out. I'm the one that's doing the market runs. I can't even send my help to do that because I'm not sure how safe she's going to be in the market. So either I go with her or I go alone. So that has been an added uh, stress on me to do more market runs every five, six days. Every five, six days, we have to go get water. Yeah, Lagos, we buy water here. So it's not been easy with the children, trying to keep them entertained, trying to get their academic performance that we talked about. It's also in my house. I'm trying to get my children's academic performance as high as possible. We try, or I try to give people's privacy, especially the, my bigger children, give them some privacy, but at the same time, try to bring them out of rooms to integrate with the family, to come out, to talk. Generally, we try to have weekly family exercise walks. So there's a one day a week we try as a family, everybody walks, we take a big walk in the estate, we walk around to talk about anything just to exercise. So the pandemic has forced people to, has forced us as well to figure out different routines, figure out different ways to keep the family going and to keep people's mental health going and not just sit at home and eat or just do school work and do nothing. So it's been 
a lot of learning for all of us and a lot of adjustment for all of us but we thank god we're alive we're good everybody's healthy so far so good thank you very much ma'am any last comments for our viewers ma'am well thank you for your time you're doing some great stuff i can't wait to see the final compilation of everybody's contribution we are all learning in a learning never stops you stop learning when you die so i can't wait to see the other interviews that you've done to learn to see what other um educators are doing so i'm looking forward to that and uh, no thank you for having me I'm, i appreciate it thank you very much mrs mary b okon it's been such a wonderful time <laughs> with you funny how time flies but i've enjoyed every bit of it we have thank learned you. so much from you you have shared and poured your heart out to so. us and i'm sure our viewers have learned richly <laughs> from you thank as you well once again we appreciate you for being with us on thank the impact educator it. summit 2020. okay bye Thank you for being a part of another insightful session on the Impact Educator Summit 2020 powered by Tacey Consult, where we seek actionable and practicable steps on how to steer through the pandemic and remain relevant as educators. This has been brought to you absolutely free of charge. However, if you'd like lifetime access to this session and all other sessions in this summit, register for the VIP tickets by clicking on the link below. You will also receive a more sought-after module blending low-tech and online technologies to minimize learning costs and 20% discounts on any other purchases from Tasty Consult in addition to mouth-watering offers by our speakers and sponsors. Your feedback is valuable to us, so do so at the feedback session right at the bottom of this page or send an email to impacteducatorsummit at hastyventures.com. We appreciate all our sponsors and partners for joining us to use education as a tool for societal transformation. Join us on the next inspiring session as we host another special guest on the Impact Educator Summit 2020.